This is Jade. This is Carly. And this is Mommy's Tell All. Hello, Jade. Hi, Carly. And hello, Brooks. And Brooks is here. He's currently feeding. So if you hear little like squeaks, it's the cutest squeak. I know we've talked about this before, but it, what does that even sound like? Oh, well, that was a do. <laughs> that was a poop. <laughs> and this is real mom life oh right my now. God. Um, no, the squeak it's is, like, it's like a cute little, I don't know, he's a little mouse. He's, yeah, a little mouse. Yeah. It's so cute. Oh my gosh. Also, this is my first time ever laying eyes on him in real I life. I know. You guys, he's so cute. He looks so much like Emmy. Um, I have to actually show you this picture because Tanner's mom was watching him yesterday and she took a picture of him in her arms and then showed us one of Emmy that she took at the same age. And they oh literally look identical. It's so bizarre. But he does look like, he does look like a boy. Uh, yes. Whoa. He has more masculine features for <gasps> sure, but they look so much alike. You guys, okay, we have to post these. Yeah, it's... This is nuts. My uterus clones children because it they does. look so identical. Which is so funny because, like, my brother's kids look nothing alike. Yeah, well, and so did, like... So, I guess I was trying to base this off of people we know and Catherine and Sean Lowe. Oh, yeah, their kids their, look nothing their alike. Their two kids look completely different. Your so kids look the same. I was expecting him to look completely different, and they look so much alike. So That's so weird. Yeah, you, we have to post this. This is nuts, you guys. <laughs> it's the same nose, same upper lip, same eyes. Their like, head shape's a little different. So head shape is a little Emmy's different. Emmy's face is a little bit longer, and she has a bigger... She has a big head like Tanner. But then she has, like, my kind of facial features. I have so a it's, big head, too, it's, Jade. <laughs> <laughs> no, she does. She, Yeah, and then his face mm-hmm. is rounder. He, I think he's going to have more of my face shape. He's got a little bit more of the roundness. Oh, my God. And her face is long. It's so weird. That's so weird, though. They really do look like twins. Yeah. But, yeah, Jade and I, every single time we, like, are doing photo shoots together, I always have to put my face behind her face because my Head is huge compared to your head. Yeah, I have to stand like a foot up <laughs> in the foreground. It's, it's true. I have to do that with Tanner too, though. When we do selfies, it's completely ridiculous. It's like, really, it's. It, I don't think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget what we were doing. Like an extension, we had we just got extensions and we had a photo shoot, and I was like, Jade, look at my face compared to your face. Actually, my face looks really big in our mommy's tell all. That's, photo. That's the photo shoot. That's the photo shoot, it you guys. Is, yeah. Look at it. Study it. But my, my face, face looks is huge. But my head is abnormally small. So it's like the two extremes. <laughs> yeah. We're winning. We're winning in life. Yeah. Um, so how's it going? How's life? It's good. I I feel like I'm getting more into the groove of two children right now. I'm feeling a little bit better about it, but I'm, it's still pure oh. chaos. But you also had to do it alone this week. Yeah, because Tanner went out of town for three days, so I was by myself <gasps> for three days. But did you have anxiety even, I, like, even thinking about that to do it? But I was like, I'm not gonna leave the house because he's pretty right. young still, and that we were just gonna get through the day, you know? Right. So it actually wasn't that bad, and that's why I texted you. I was like, Carly, this this <laughs> two kid thing, you can do it. So. Oh my gosh, I'm. I mean, I'm still like totally scared, but it's really nice to know that it can be done. I mean, obviously, you guys, like, lots of you listening are like, I have like, lots more than two, and it can be done. <laughs> but, I mean, it's scary. It's scary to think about. Yeah, well, it's just a learning curve. Like motherhood is a constant, just winging it. Right. And so you're just learning as you go, and it's kind of that like no better, do better type thing. So you're right. just constantly learning and making yeah. mistakes and just trying to figure out what's best. So two is new for us. Right. So we don't know. I mean, people who have five kids are like, yeah, well, yeah, I have five and it's hard. It's harder than two, but like this is hard for us because we don't know anything else. Right. But um, it's just been hard too because I've talked about it on my Instagram, but there's been a couple, like the last couple weeks, have been really hard because he has been having gas pains and mm, there was so sad i know there was there's been a couple days where he has cried literally for eight hours straight oh and oh, just so like sad. writhing and twisting and mm-hmm. you just have been you could tell he was in so much pain right. and it's so hard because i figured it was my breast milk and i can't not give it to him right what's he gonna eat yeah so it's like 
it was this hard. It was really emotional for me because I felt like I'm poisoning my baby because here I am giving him milk that's making him like in pain, but yet he needs it. Right. And so we had a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of long days mm. in the last couple of weeks. So then I decided to go dairy free, which I was going to do in the first place with him because I went dairy free with Emmy. Right. But then he was sleeping so well and he seemed so well adjusted that I was like, he must not have the 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 dairy sensitivity. Right. But we went to the doctor on Monday to find some answers out and um, they tested his poop. I guess if you bring a diaper in or if they poop there, they'll test it for blood. And if there's blood in the stool, it it's like a sign that there's a dairy sensitivity. Oh. So he tested positive. Oh, man. And so now I'm cutting out dairy and soy. Well, I've cut out dairy for a week, but oh, dairy and now soy. And so then hard. possibly beef, they say, because the same protein is in beef as it is in the dairy. Oh, my gosh. So we'll see if that'll be the next step if I feel like it hasn't improved. Ugh. But also we looked, because this was a huge thing on my Instagram, is lip ties and tongue ties. Right. And I guess like... He has an upper lip tie, but my doctor, our pediatrician, recommended to not mess with it. Oh, really? And that it would stretch on its own. But I talked about it on my Instagram, and so many people were like, it saved my life. You know, like, we finally did it, and then my baby was so much better. Like, and like cutting it? Or Is that what they do? What do they do? Some of, I think some people used to, I think it used to be cut, or now, or maybe they still do cut it, but a lot of pediatric dentists are usually the people who do this. Oh. Um, They'll laser it. Oh. And actually, the guy who supposedly invented this technique is like an hour away from us. No way. if I wanted to make the drive, we could take Brooks there. But so many people were like, pediatricians aren't trained in this, and they often overlook them. And I'm like, well, she did identify it. But we're just going to kind of wait and see if the dairy thing fixes Mm, fixes his his gas and tummy troubles. Oh, gosh. And then if he's still doing it, then we might take him to the dentist and evaluate it. But there was a lot of strong opinions. Gosh, I mean, everyone has opinion on everything, but that's so hard. It's just like when something works for you, you know? Totally. So it's just like all these people, it worked for them, which I totally get. But like... If the dairy thing just works for us, I probably won't mess with his tie. But everyone's dairy free is easier than it used to be. It is. It is. Because <laughs> there's so many like health food of like, I guess, snacks and like right. things that are more available and recipes. And, and there's like dairy free cheese that isn't like, it like actually melts properly. And because yeah. I was, I went dairy free for a while after I went gluten free. I remember that. But then I went back because cheese is life, you know? It's so hard. I love, love cheese. Like, I, you're making me think so much because we haven't tested Bella for food allergies and she's had blood in her stool. and But she also, like, pushes so hard, which makes me also think she has food allergies and I have terrible ones. But um, when I told the doctor, he was like, well, if it's not that much blood, like, we're not going to worry about it yet. Um because he was like, food allergies come and go, and blah, blah, blah. And now I'm like, oh, I really do need to test her, but I can't. Like, one of her favorite words is cheese. Like, how oh. can you take the cheese away from the Bella? The top of the food pyramid for toddlers is mac and cheese. Oh, yeah. Mac and cheese all day, every day, and just cheese sticks. I mean, she just loves cheese. It's so sad. Or the bottom of the pyramid. Maybe that's what I meant. The bottom, because it's, it's more a, things. Yeah, the giant block the big one. is just mac and cheese. Yeah, it is. It's true. Or, or like chicken <laughs> strips. Oh, gosh. That's, well, hopefully he just grows out of this. Yeah, and some people were telling me that it can affect their speech and lots of things that make a mom, like, freak out, wonder if I'm doing the right thing, but um, we're just going to wing it, like I was saying earlier. Which is the right only now, thing you can do. And see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. As long as he's, like, happier, which, because I've cut dairy out for over a week now, oh. he's so much more... There's so much more life in his eyes. God, isn't that amazing? Yeah, so I feel like it's somewhat working right now at least. It's it's so crazy. Food allergies. I just had this conversation actually yesterday with someone that was telling me gluten wasn't a thing. And I said, if you could be around me within five to ten minutes of eating gluten, you would, I would be asleep. Like I would be, well, first off, I'd be really irritable and really mean. I would fall asleep. I would start like to swell. I was like, it 
it affects my body so much so that you can see it on the outside and like you could tell in my personality how much it affects me. Like it's not like, it, it just makes me so irritated when I get that people don't understand because they don't have food allergies, but like it's a real thing. And like looking at your baby and seeing a change in your baby in a week and seeing a light in your baby's eyes that wasn't there, like totally makes sense. Yeah, well, it just, you can just, like I said, you could just tell, like, he's been more awake, and he just looks happier, and his eyes are so much bigger and engaging, he's, like, making eye contact, yeah. and I know that's, like, maybe it's just a stage now that he's going through, too, but it seems like he's starting to become a different baby. It's amazing. Yeah. I, Bella, I mean, Bella was totally different when we switched her on, well, actually, from breast milk to formula, because my breast milk was not good for her even though people are going to be mad at me for saying that. But for me, in that moment, it wasn't the best thing for her, and it changed her, her completely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was wild. Within days, like, her gas pain was gone. She stopped crying. Like, it was wild. Oh, little baby. <laughs> he just proved to us over here how much gas he really has in his body <laughs> because he just let out the biggest too. Which is, like, amazing because that is a big sound for such a small baby. And... It, and- I'm, you guys, I have seen his little b-hole, and it is teeny, teeny, teeny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, it's so tiny. That's um, really funny. <laughs> anyways, you guys, we have a really good episode today. Um, switching topics. <laughs> if you guys listen from to- From farts. <laughs> from little tiny b-holes. Um, <laughs> to- well, if you guys listened to my birth story episode, we talked about EMDR and how I was thinking about possibly um, going to EMDR therapy. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was a good dude. He is just letting it out. Um, and so we have a doctor on today, Dr. Cassidy, who is going to talk to us all about EMDR because she specializes in it, especially so for cool. birth trauma and maternal mental health. And she's just going to explain exactly what it is and what the benefits are and how it can help heal you from any kind of birth trauma. I put it out on our Instagram and a lot of women who've had either unplanned or traumatic C-sections mm. were really interested in this. But it can, wow. it can vary from anything, you know, like you think, I think I read a statistic that it's like 39% of women will say they've had a birth that they consider traumatic. Wow. Isn't that crazy? 100%. That's crazy. And that could just be from, you know, your child having to be admitted to the NICU to mm-hmm. if you hemorrhaged and you mm-hmm. had to get blood transfusions to an unplanned C-section to a precipitous birth like I had. I mean, right. it could be all over. All over the map. Just whatever yeah. you identify as something that went wrong. I right. feel like it's traumatic and we were even talking to like Ashley Lemieux remember we were talking about EMDR with her and and uh because she's been through a lot of trauma in her life and she said that she swears by it as well yeah and she so I guess that's another example she was a foster mom who was so close to adopting her children and then they were placed back into their biological mother's home and for her that was so traumatic right I mean she's had years of therapy right because she loved those kids as right. her own. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting. EMDR is helping so many people out there. I'm so curious. I never I never heard about this until Ashley talked about it. And then mm-hmm. when you talked about it again, I was like, I, I want to know all of these things. My grandpa is a therapist and he used to do EMDR. So cool. And everybody has been telling me, oh, EMDR is so trendy now, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't know that because I've just known I did EMDR with my grandpa one time and I was like in eighth grade because I had been uh, ostracized by all the girls in my class and I went to a school of 12 kids in my eighth grade class. Stop. There were 12 kids? Mm-hmm. And there were seven girls and so all six of these other girls had uh, just like completely like ousted me. Girls and are mean. Yeah, it was like a mean girl kind of thing Ugh. and it really, it really affected me as an eighth grader. Like it was kind of traumatic totally. for me and so I did this EMDR with him and... I guess I can't remember if it like I thought it worked, but it must have. Like I've seemed, to, I don't know. I don't have any traumatic feelings towards that. Yeah, when I talk about it, I don't right. get anything from no triggers. That's so interesting. I'm so curious to talk to her. Yeah. So um, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll 
Have her on. Awesome. We are bringing you a new segment this week thanks to our friends at Skura Style. Everyone has a dirty little secret, and so do we. So you all know that I'm dairy-free right now because of breastfeeding Brooks. And you guys, breastfeeding cravings are real. I have the craziest cravings, but I also feel kind of deprived from dairy. So I bought this coconut ice cream because I was craving ice cream so bad. And my dirty little secret is not lying. I ate the whole pint and I don't regret it. But I want to talk about that dirty little secret you've been keeping in your kitchen, that disgusting, soggy sponge sitting in your sink. It's gross, it smells, and according to research, the average kitchen sponge can be 200,000 times dirtier than a toilet seat. That's disgusting. But it took two moms to address the hate affair people have with their kitchen sponge and start a sponge revolution. Skira style sponges are made of patented polyurethane foam and an antimicrobial so they don't smell. They harbor 99.9% less E. coli than cellulose sponges, and they dry faster and keep their shape. Plus, most people keep their sponges way too long, which means germs are compounding by the minute. Our fade-to-change technology tells you when it's time to replace them so you don't even have to think about it. Skira sponges rinse clean and dry fast. They even pass a cheesy omelet test. No more yesterday's meals sitting in your sponge the next day. And they're pretty. Four happy colors with a gray foam sponge. Skira has an easy subscription plan, which means you get sponges delivered right to your door. Go to skirastyle.com right now, enter mommies in the promo box, and get your first month free. Just pay shipping. You can cancel at any time. That's skurastyle.com and try the sponge seen on the Today Show that was called Life Changing. That's skurastyle. skurastyle.com, promo code mommies. You guys want to know something so outrageous? Women's razors can cost up to 15% more than men's. It's called the pink tax. That is so ridiculous. But guess what? I'm going to introduce you to something that is going to help you out and all women everywhere. Billy, it's delivering premium razors directly to you for half of the price of what you'd find in the store. Go to mybilly.com to get their starter kit. It includes two razor cartridges, a handle, and their magic magnetic holder for the shower. For only $9, you can get four refill blades for every one, two, or three months based on how often you shave. And each razor has five American-made blades encased in an aloe shave soap for the smoothest shave that's super gentle on the skin. And they're an alert best of beauty winner on the nylon beauty hit list because Billy is the brand that finally got women's razors right. Getting free shipping, always skip, adjust, or cancel your subscription anytime. And to express a little love for our show, go to mybilly.com, B-I-L-L-I-E.com slash mommies for 10% off your razor. It's a small way you can support us while you're getting the best razor and the best shave you will ever get for over half the price of razors in store. Plus shipping's always free. And this is a limited time offer. So go now and save 10% off your razor at mybilly.com slash mommies spelled M-Y-B-I-L-L-I-E dot com slash mommies. Again, that's mybilly.com slash mommies. Happy shaving. All right. Well, thank you for joining us, Cassidy. Um, For those out there listening, we have Dr. Cassidy Freitas with us, who is a therapist who specializes in anything from fertility to postpartum. And she specializes in EMDR, which we're really excited to hear about as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is a topic in so many ways that means so much to me, and I'm really excited to get a chance to talk to you guys about it. Thank you. So I guess to fill you in, Cassidy, I recently just gave birth um, to my son, and I had a precipitous birth and gave birth at home Mm. accidentally in my closet. (laughs) And Wow. Yeah, and so it was kind of... A traumatic experience for me is how I would describe it. And we had talked about EMDR on the podcast a little bit. And so many of our listeners were like, what is that? And or Mm -hmm. they've done it and they found it so um, 
effective for them in their healing and just coming to terms with some of this trauma that they've been through as um, through birth or as mothers. And so could you just explain to us exactly what EMDR is? Yeah, absolutely. And what I'll do is I'll actually share like my journey with EMDR from being somebody who was like, okay, I'm hearing about this and I'm hearing it's like super effective um, when, as, as a therapist, like, I'm, you know, people are using this and it's really effective with their clients. And there's all these like randomized controlled trial studies to show that the effectiveness of this thing called EMDR, which stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, which just sounds like so intimidating and like weird, right? Like that doesn't <laughs> yeah. really feel super helpful when you first hear that, like Very to fancy. understand what this is. Yeah. And I had heard about it and I knew that it was helping people. And eventually I started, you know, referring clients to go do EMDR with somebody who had been trained in it. Um, at that point in time, I had not been trained. And I was sending folks out and I was like, you know, when I was feeling blocked with them in one way or another in our work, and then they were coming back and just sharing and reporting like all of these huge shifts and changes that were happening in moving through blocks and processing trauma. And I like was hesitant to do the training myself, even though I knew and I was witnessing how effective it was for my clients, just because personally I was like, there's, a, there's an eye movement component. And I was like, I just can't picture like myself in session, putting my fingers up to a client's eyes and saying, follow my fingers. Because that just like in my mind was connected to like hypnosis, which, you know, for some people like that's their jam and it can be really helpful for folks. But I just, it just did not feel like me. And then I had my own birth trauma. And then I had my own EMDR done. And I was like, whoa. Like there is no denying now that I have experienced this, just how powerful it is, what a robust tool it is, how empowering it is as as a treatment to processing and integrating a traumatic experience. And at that point in time is when I decided to go and get the training myself and now integrate it into my practice with my clients. And it has been such a powerful tool to have in supporting my clients who, yes, primarily are in anywhere from fertility to pregnancy and postpartum. And um, so, I mean, I'm happy to share a little bit about it just from like even my own experience because I can definitely tell you all like the technical stuff, but I just think that like connecting at a more personal level, even as a clinician, actually feels even more helpful um, sometimes. So, when I um, was pregnant with my daughter, I had a very rigid birth plan. I had an idea of what I wanted the birth to look like. I um, wanted to do um, hypnobirthing and had, you know, taken the classes. I had a doula and, you know, I was the person that was like to my OBGYN, like, here's my birth plan. I need you to scan it into my records. Like this is, (laughs) this is what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, I feel you. Um, And it's just, yeah, it's just so funny because, you know, I was a therapist I was, a, I was training as a therapist at the time. And I, like, I have to believe, how could I not have known better than to be so rigid around these ideas, right? And how that was really setting, um, setting, setting these things up in many ways. But, you know, I just think that there's so much that you, that is, feels out of your control when you are pregnant and going into birth and in early motherhood that, I don't know, sometimes we like try to really grasp onto what we can control, you know, or what, oh, what totally. it feels like. Yeah. We can control. So anyway, I um, I, I went into labor and everything was 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 good and okay. Um, and I also had hired a doula who kind of was aligned with my rigid, rigid ideas and like you know was really like you know she had like these are like my numbers like I never have C-section births and I was like all right great like you're gonna help me like not have this one kind of birth that I'm not wanting to have. You know, long story short, very, very long labor was, you know, what um, was pushing for a little over two hours. It was getting to the point where, you know, the OBGYN was like, there's a couple options here, vacuum forceps or C-section. Because mm. I got to the point where I was so exhausted, I couldn't even push anymore. And honestly, I think that I would have would have stopped that and like taken the step of getting a C-section much earlier if 
if I if the support people who were around me, including like particularly my doula, wasn't in the room because I just like I was looking at her face and I was seeing like almost her need for this to not go that direction, and so I just kept trying for this one birth that I had in my mind with a pretty rigid plan around it. Um, anyway. It got to the point where I was so weak and um, you know, my baby's heart rate was starting to drop where they had to do an emergency C-section. And it was, um, my doula left. She didn't stay for the C-section. Oh, like really? there was, yeah, like, I mean, she, when when I told them that, yes, I like, yes, let's do that. Like there was like this like shame that washed over her face. Oh. that like, I like, you know, stuck with me. It was part of my trauma. I just felt like I was letting her down. Um, she left, so she didn't stay to support us through that. And I, you know, once my, once my daughter was born, I couldn't keep my eyes open. I wanted to sleep. I couldn't look at her. I was so out of it. And I just had, had this memory of my husband saying like, look at her, she's here, she's here. And I was like, I can't, I don't want to, like, I just couldn't even look at her. And it was, you know, I got to hold her like a couple, like, like 30 minutes or 40 minutes later, um, and it just felt so disconnected from the experience of my birth. And I ended up, you know, you know, through postpartum, like wanting to not think about the birth, not look at pictures of the birth, feeling a lot of guilt, like there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong with my body, um, feeling really disconnected from her as well. And when I eventually did my own EMDR, I was able to process the experience, the negative thoughts I was having around the experience, the physical sensations, the images, such as that image of the doula and like that, the shame washing over her face. And like the moment where my son, my husband was saying, look at her, look at her. And I couldn't, and I wouldn't. And I was able to really integrate and process that experience while also being able to like put it in context with everything else that was going on. And the, the, what's so cool about EMDR is it activates our like natural healing like abilities. Like our bodies, our brains want to heal and want to move towards healing and integration. But we, when we experience really intense experiences or trauma, which birth just on its own, even outside of, you know, emergency C-sections or things that, that don't go as planned or things that, you know, others might see like, oh yeah, that would be traumatic. Like birth is just intense. And so you're sort of primed for this. And so our, our brains and our bodies get overwhelmed by the data coming in from that experience, that the way that it's stored sort of keeps us really stuck. And what EMDR does is it sort of activates this natural like healing mechanism that supports us in processing and integrating. And what's so cool is that it really comes from within. And so, you know, it's at the end of it, you're like, wow, like I did this, I got there. Like I understand now, like I feel whole now. It's just, it's so powerful. Um, and I'm happy to go into more details around it, but just sort of wanted to share a little bit of my journey of how I came to be very much pro EMDR, a huge yeah. fan, both personally and professionally. Do you guys ever find that it's really hard to find the perfect caregiver, especially when you're out of town, if you're traveling, even in your own city, sometimes it's really hard to find the right person. Well, Evan and I use care.com all the time. It's easy and reliable and you can find care for everyone in the family, when and where you need it. There's access to 8.6 million caregivers across 16 countries. And getting started is so easy. You just sign up for a free basic membership to post a job and view in-depth caregivers' profiles, include work experience, certification, special skills. Plus, you can access background checks. You check reviews, read articles, and get tips from parents and their caregivers, all on things care-related. They even have dog walkers, you guys. If you don't want to walk your dog, they have housekeepers, sitters, nannies, tutors. You can run errands and find someone in the nick of time. And it's so much simpler for families everywhere than trying to find a nanny like we used to or 
a babysitter like we used to. And at care.com, you can find and book and pay for care all in one place. Right now you can join for a basic membership and you start searching for local caregivers so easily. And once you upgrade to a premium membership, you can reach out to them, schedule interviews, and even book and pay for care online or through our app, which I use the app all the time. You guys, Evan and I, when we traveled to LA, we've used like at least three or four different caregivers through care.com. And it's been the easiest, safest way for us to get a babysitter. And right now you can save 30% off with a care.com premium membership when you visit care.com slash mommies or enter promo code mommies when you subscribe. Can you explain a little bit to just exactly what it is? So it's rapid eye movement and it's done. So I had this done years ago. Um, when I was like 14, I was going through kind of some bullying at school and I had done yep. EMDR. And I remember it's like a long black rod kind of with the lights. But is that something that you want to discuss just kind of how it exactly works or? EMDR was initially developed um, by Francine Shapiro, who actually just passed away this year. Um, So the whole EMDR community is, um, you know, she had a very long, incredible life. um, And she's, you know, somebody who is just one of the most influential people in supporting the resolution of trauma. She's incredible. And the community is is really grieving um, her passing away. Um, But she was the originator of EMDR. It was developed in the 80s. And what she discovered was that when she was working with folks who had PTSD, that when they moved their eyes back and forth, similar to what happens during rapid eye movement while we're sleeping, that when they did that, they were sort of feeling a little bit more regulated. You know, like if they were experiencing, if they were thinking of something traumatic, they'd feel a little bit more regulated or grounded. And she developed EMDR, which then allowed for people to not just sort of feel right, you know, like they could regulate and ground, but also then process traumatic memories. So it's, it's a protocol structured treatment. So it's in many ways feel can feel really different from talk therapy because a lot of the work is happening like inside the client and like their experience of it. But during those eight phases, what typically happens is first there'll be some sort of assessment done. So if like say somebody who's listening or if one of you go and you do EMDR, um, most likely your therapist is going to take some sort of an assessment where they identify, um, you know, the history, um, your readiness for this, for this work um, to make, they also want to make sure that there's some coping mechanisms and tools in place so that while we are opening some of these things up, there are those tools to be able to, to regulate because the point here is never to re-traumatize somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so after you do some sort of an assessment, then depending on whether it was a, you know, the, the trauma that we're talking about is an isolated event, a recent event, or um, a historical event, or numerous events, there's different ways in which um, a therapist will approach it. But for a birth trauma, let's say this is something that happened recently. Um, If it's a recent birth trauma, typically what will happen is um, the therapist will then ask you to share the narrative of, of your birth. And what they're paying attention to tends to look like looking at the birth as sort of like the chapters of the birth experience or the episodes of the birth experience. Because what's interesting is that the way that our brain stores recent memories tends to be more in like chapter form almost. I don't know if Jade, if this, um, if you resonate with this at all, like when you think about your birth, are you able to sort of identify it as, as in like chapters? Like there's, this, there's like the chapter of when I first, of like, like pre-labor. And then there's a chapter of when like I was, when my water broke and um, like what was happening then. And then there's like a chapter maybe related to um, you know, being in transition or pushing or pain, then there's the actual birth itself. Then there's what happened after birth. And so I don't know if that resonates with you, Jade, at all, but yeah. typically when we sort of explore this, yeah, it's sort of, we remember it, especially when it's a recent memory, we remember it in sort of like chapters. And so then the therapist will sort of identify what those different pieces are, those different chapters will support you in identifying like what what are some like what's the chapter that feels the most disturbing 
and will support you in identifying different components of what feels traumatic or disturbing about the experience, typically related to the negative thoughts that you're having about yourself, the image that comes to mind when you think of the memory, also the physical sensations that you have when you think about it and the emotions. And then those become sort of different areas that we gauge throughout EMDR to sort of see if if things are moving. So for instance, if let's say, you know, a, like one, a, one common negative thought about ourselves that we can have, I know this is actually a negative thought that I had had in my own birth was like, there's something like, I, like there's something wrong with me, you know, mm -hmm. and there's like some, and then the, the emotion attached to that was an emotion of shame. Like there's something wrong with me that my body couldn't do this and that I couldn't look at her when she was born. And the emotion is, I could attach to that as shame. And when I think about that image and that memory and those thoughts and that emotion before EMDR, I would also feel that in my body. And where mm. I where I would feel it, I remember I'd feel it like almost like in my stomach and in my chest. And what's so interesting is that the way that our brain stores memories tends to be connected to, you know, thoughts images and physical sensations. And so EMDR sort of supports you in processing memories, using those pieces to sort of open up the memory. And we also gauge how EMDR is doing by checking in on those things. So, you know, if originally I was believing and thinking there's something deep, there's something deeply wrong with me, what I prefer to believe about myself is that I am okay. Like I, like I, you know, yeah, just simply that, like I am okay. Like what, like I am good enough. Like what, in that moment, like I was, I went, that it was really intense and like, I am a good mother, right? Like I am okay. Um, and so if I want to, if I want to, you know, my hope is to, is to think about that memory and to actually truly authentically believe that about myself. And so one way that we gauge EMDR is we will ask like in the beginning, how true to the words, when you think of that memory, how true to the words, I am okay, feel to you now as you think of it. And on a scale of like one to seven, right? Where like, you know, part of it is like, I don't believe that at all. And part of it is like, I truly believe that. And so then we sort of gauge over time to see if, if that moves for clients. Um, and so once you sort of identify those pieces, that's how you sort of open up the, like the memory network connected to that traumatic memory. And so once we open that up, we use what's called bilateral stimulation, which can look like what it sounds like you experienced with the rod, which is eye movement. Um, some people use um, like yeah, light bars where like you kind of follow this light back and forth. Some people use um, just following your fingers. There's other ways to do bilateral stimulation. So you can do tapping. Um, you can also, um, there's also odd like sound like buzzers that can go back and forth or buzzers in your hands. So there's different ways to stimulate um, that bilateral stimulation. And what happens while like, so basically you open it up and then you do the bilateral stimulation and you just sort of see what you notice. And what's so cool, girls, is that like what happens is like your brain in that space allows for you to begin to process memories in a way in which like similar to, to, to like rapid eye movement, like REM sleep, when like that's tends to be the time in our sleep when we integrate things and we really can like sort of integrate new experiences and integrate it into our memories. We're able to do that, but while you're awake and while you're present and you have somebody there, hopefully that you feel safe with and supportive, sort of processing that with you. So after bilateral stimulation, your therapist would probably say something like, take a breath and what did you notice? And so sort of through that process, we're actually activating your brain's like natural healing mechanisms that allows for like almost like both sides of your brain to sort of speak to each other and begin to integrate and process these memories. It's, it's incredible. I'm always so amazed and to witness it in both my clients and in my own experiences. It's so cool because it seems like such a gentle form of therapy, which is why I was intrigued by it, because especially when you go through something traumatic, like you said, you don't want to feel like you're reliving the trauma over and over. Do you do this a lot? Is this like a common form that you use? Um, I had a session right before this where I was actually doing this work with a client and processing um, her traumatic birth. And 
And so, and sometimes these sessions might be a little bit longer than a regular therapy session, just because while you're in it, um, it's, it's helpful to be able to sort of, like once you open it and you're in it, it's nice if you can just sort of continue to process and, and move through and see where, where, it's, where you're able to go. Um, but yeah, I integrated a lot and, you know, not everybody is ready or the right fit for it. Um, but you know, that's why people who can do EMDR are, are usually licensed providers who are trained in this and also, you know, getting consultation and doing this work that way, you know, the person that's supporting you, you know, is also you know, staying up to date, educated on these pieces. So they, they know whether or not somebody is ready and what to do when certain blocks show up or if somebody begins to disassociate or if somebody begins to feel really dysregulated, to know what to do, to know how to hold space for that and how to respond. So that, yeah, so that you're, so that it, it is something that is both incredibly powerful, but also, but also, yes, gentle. And, and like you're, and you're, you're really sort of being held in that space of processing. If a listener is thinking about doing this, how would they know if they're a good candidate for this type of therapy? There's different data out there, but around like 30 to 45% tends to be the typical percentage that is shared um, of women experience birth trauma, which is a big number. Like 45%, that's like, oh, that's huge. Birth is such an intense experience. And for some, it's empowering and it's connecting. And for so many others, it is it is not those things. It is yeah. it is intense. It is scary. Um, and what's unfortunate is that a lot of women don't talk about their their birth traumas because they maybe don't think that it is trauma. You know, you know, I know that for myself, it was like, okay, well, at the end of the day, I was healthy, my daughter was healthy. So like I wasn't even calling it trauma for for a while. Um, but the thing about birth trauma is that really what matters is like how you as an individual experienced the birth, right? Like, Mm -hmm. yes, like there are some things that like, you're like, okay, well, of course that'd be traumatic. Like if you were hemorrhaging or, you know, if there was something, if your, if your baby had to be like, you know, taken away really quickly, um, if your baby wasn't breathing right away, if, you know, your, um, you had an emergency C-section, you know, if there was an unexpected something that happened, if, you know, these things can be understandably so traumatic, but also sometimes you could have like a routine of his, you know, episiotomy and to the medical staff and to everyone around, he's like, well, that's sort of standard. But to you, it was, it was traumatic. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was intense. It was unexpected. You felt violated. It felt, you know, if the medical staff, the people around you weren't supportive or how they responded or treated you or what they said, there's so many ways in which birth trauma can be traumatic. So if somebody's listening and they're like, well, but everything ended up being fine, right? Like we're okay. Sure. And, and th- I'm so, and thank goodness everybody's okay. But yet you can still have like you can still look back at your birth and name some of these things and recognize that maybe that was that was traumatic for me. I can and beginning to sort of like recognize that and name that can be one of the first steps towards healing. Um, and so some of the different like symptoms or things that can show up that maybe if somebody's listening, they're like, well, that 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 actually resonates. Um, could be you know difficulty bonding to your baby. Um, having a really hard time sleeping, um, being not able to remember parts of the birth, avoiding situations like not wanting to go back to see the doctor or like, you know, just, just even driving by the hospital or birth center and like feeling uneasy um, or, you know, just sort of even feeling like um, triggered by other people's births when they share them with you, anxiety, hypervigilance, nightmares, um, just, you know, feelings of shame, just sort of like disconnecting in general, um, like hypervigilance, hyperarousal, just having like negative thoughts about yourself. Um, and so sometimes this can result in PTSD. So PTSD following a birth and that the number of that, the number, the percentage is around 9% of, of women report PTSD. I, I always take though these numbers with, you know, yes, I think they're important to pay attention to the numbers. Like that's still one in 10, but I also think that sometimes these things go underreported or not treated. And there can be like different stages of of sort of navigating birth trauma. Like there can be a stage, I don't know if you guys have heard of like the stages of grief, mm-hmm. um, like denial, anger, bargaining, 
And sometimes that can actually be what it looks like sometimes after the birth. Like there can be a period of denial where it's like, you know, did this really happen to me? Did mm-hmm. this really happen to us? Um, or it doesn't matter. I'll be fine. And then there's like the anger, like wanting, like whose fault is this? I'm trying to find the blame. Um, we didn't deserve this. Nobody understands. Then there can be like the bargaining stage, which is like, you know, if I, well, maybe if I just control my baby's schedule, it'll make up for not having control like during my birth, you know, or maybe if we have another baby, then that'll make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like have another birth experience. And then there can be the stage of depression, which some can experience. There can also be a stage of anxiety, just like the sort of like this, like, you know, know, generalized anxiety or feeling um, like you're having obsessive worries or just hypervigilance. And then, you know, ideally, hopefully people are able to then share, share these pieces with the right people, with people who have earned the right to sort of be a witness to their full experience and begin to, you know, hopefully reach out, get support. And then through that comes more of like the acceptance. Like I can't ignore this anymore. I deserve to get help. I deserve to feel better. I am a good parent. I can do something about my experience. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, I, I mean, I know I'm talking a lot. <laughs> I'm just over here. Helpful. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I'm just over here literally almost nodding to everything you say because it's resonating with me so much. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, yes, I feel that yeah. way. Yes. That makes sense. Like all these things. Mm-hmm. And especially I think for me that like you said, yours was like the shame for me. I think it's yeah. like, sorry. Um, am I still yeah. a good mom because it happened? Yeah. I know. Because it's like our responsibility I know. to make sure that they're safe. And I didn't feel that way. I know. And you know, I remember feeling those same exact feelings, Jade. I remember feeling like this was my first job as a parent, you know? And like, did I, and feeling, feeling pretty deeply like I failed her. Yeah. Um, and you I share that because I want you to know that you're not alone and you sharing that and like you being able to be open about that and sharing that. I mean, four weeks post that, that, that really intense traumatic experience and being able to share that and and, and share the vulnerability and open that up for others to hear. Um, You know, I don't, you may not be at that, at this place now, but at some point, like, I hope that you're able to integrate the meaning of what it is that you're doing from your experience and how you're inviting others to be a witness to this. And maybe somebody else is going to hear this, Jade, and they're going to reach out and get support. And I also like, you know, again, of course, I'm the therapist, like saying, (laughs) get help. But like, you know, and for you to, for you, like you deserve to feel, to feel better because you are an amazing mom, right? Like this was a really intense experience. And what's so cool about EMDR is that, yes, I can say that to you, but through EMDR, you're able to begin to sort of see that within yourself. Yeah. Which I love that. Cause I feel like I need, I feel like that's what I need is to recognize that within myself. And there's different sort of, so one of the things that we do with EMDR is we support people in identifying the negative thoughts that really come up for them around the experience. And Um, And those negative thoughts can revolve around different areas. Like it can be responsibility, right? So like I'm a bad mom, you know, or or I'm a bad person. I'm a bad mom. It can be around safety or vulnerability. Like I am in danger or I can't stand up for myself or I can't trust anyone. It can be around controlled choices. Like I am powerless. I'm weak. I'm a failure or I have to be perfect. So there's different sort of areas that these negative thoughts can show up in. Um, and part of what's helpful is to be able to name some of those things, to be able to name it out loud with somebody else, yeah. to identify what we would prefer to believe about ourselves, and then to discover that in, in ourselves through EMDR. And, you know, another thing that can come up sometimes in EMDR, you know, if, if they come in, focus on like the, a traumatic birth, you know, Oftentimes what happens is this birth, because our brain's always trying to make sense of the world around us. So it will connect our experiences to other experiences that we've had. So sometimes in that EMDR, and I would say oftentimes, there's other memories that will come up, other times in your life where you felt 
like you um, were not lovable or like you were not safe or that you did something wrong or that you are powerless. And so then you begin to process all these pieces together. Like sometimes our brains jump around and, it'll, and our brains will show us where healing needs to happen. Um, you know, typically for e like when EMDR is done on an event that's not recent, then typically what we actually do is we actually try to find the earliest memory, which we call the touchstone memory, like the earliest memory in that memory network where you felt those things. And we start there um, and we sort of process that because it tends to have this like beautiful ripple effect of, of supporting us and processing any memories connected to that that sort of followed that memory. This is amazing. It's really so cool. Um, thank you so much for sharing your own story and just sharing everything. It gives me like a lot of hope for myself. <laughs> Um, and hope is so powerful. Hope is like, hope is everything. Like hope is like the bridge that tells us like, you know what, I think that I deserve to feel better and I'm going to reach yeah. out and get support. So I'm just, if that's, if, if that's, if even like this episode can give anybody just a little bit of that, like that's, that's what I want to do. That's what I, that's what you guys are doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. And then I know you have your own podcast as well. So if yeah. people want to go listen to that and listen to you, where can they find you? I'm on social media at Dr. Cassidy, D-R-C-A-S-S-I-D-Y. -S and then my podcast is called Holding Space. Um, and that's on social media at Holding Space Podcast and on iTunes, um, Holding Space. And I would also love to share just a few resources for folks Absolutely. who um, may be interested in taking the step. And so Postpartum Support International, postpartum.net, is a great place to start. Um, they have a directory where you can find um, resources and therapists based on your area. Um, and then emdria, E-M-D-R-I-A.org, um, that's the International Association for EMDR. And they also have a directory to find folks who are trained in EMDR. Um, and I do believe there's also a category for birth trauma and loss. Oh, wow. Uh, and so those are two just like really great places to start if somebody's listening to this, feeling maybe a little bit of that hope or readiness to reach out and get support. I also want to share, I have, um, I'm putting together an e-course actually with a colleague of mine oh, who wow. is an OBGYN and we're like teaming up collaborating we want like our like aim is to like change the world of you know maternal and paternal mental health and just you know peripartum wholeness yes. and care and a big a, a piece of this is going to be related to around how you can process your birth even if it wasn't traumatic but just processing your birth um, mm -hmm. and I have a little sort of free resource I could send to you guys if you want to share it absolutely with, we um, will we would audience. love that yeah okay I will send that to you guys then thank you thank you oh my gosh so thank you much. so much and Thank you again for sharing your own story. It really means a lot. Thank you for giving me the space to share it. Absolutely. It was wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for coming on. You too. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to Mommies Tell All. We love you. And if you love us, please go to our iTunes and leave us a five-star review and a lovely comment. We'll love you forever. And don't forget to subscribe. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.